Welcome to the That's My Financial Guy podcast with Brian Haney, founder of The Haney Company, financial guru who looks great in pants and helps people understand their finances. Welcome to another session of the That's My Financial Guy podcast. I'm your host and financial guy, pant-wearing guru, Brian Haney of The Haney Company. And today we have some fantastic special guests, Emily Mendia and Nate Wombold, which I think I nailed both of your names, so hopefully that's a good start. Welcome, guys. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having us. Thanks so much. No problem. So we're going to talk all things associations, and you guys get to kind of run the show first. But before we get into that, let's get to know one another a little bit. Since, oh, goodness. Uh, you know, I, I want to assume you're both world famous. I know most of the people that come into this podcast are actually world famous. And so I'm glad I'm continuing that tradition <laughs> with you all. But right out the gate, since this, you know, this podcast, while it says that's my financial guy, we love pants. So I want to get kind of just initial impressions. What's your favorite pant? Are we talking pleated, khakis, jeans? Tell me about your pant successes, maybe a fail if you have had. A, I, I hate I hate thinking about pant fails. That's <sighs> terrible. But go for it. Let's, Nate, do you want to go first? Sure. This is a lot of pressure. It's a tough question. It's probably the hardest question My we ask favorite, anybody. I, I mean, do we have sponsors? Should I avoid branding? Uh, hey, so, yeah. I, we're always okay. looking for you it. Always you always collect know. afterwards, man. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I've kind of, ash I'm a little ashamed to say, I've fallen into this athleisure phase. Uh, here we go. So I yeah. love a good Lululemon commission pant. <gasps> Beautiful. It kind of rides all styles, good for everywhere. I'm with uh, Wear it to work, wear it to the gym. So I'm kind of partial to those right now. No, that's that's excellent. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I feel that. For me, I guess type of pants. I go between two. So yoga pants are like yeah. my favorite. Love them, wear them at home, wear them outside. But I think I lean towards sweats just because I'm a homebody. And it helps when you're eating so much food. So, you know, couch potato. You can't go wrong. Eating a lot. Comfort. It stretches, yeah. doesn't, you know, restrict my stomach area. So comfortable all the time. Beautiful. Fantastic. All right. So let's pretend we're superheroes for a second. If you were a superhero, what would your superpower be? <laughs> Am Emily, I going first? Yeah, Emily, you go first this time. <laughs> um, I think I would like to fly. I hate traffic, especially in the D.C. area. Amen. So if I can go from point A to point B without... A commute of an hour that'd be awesome yeah no that's i think i mean that's right up in my top two yeah since childhood yeah flying's pretty cool i gotta admit so yeah i'm right along the same lines yeah. uh there was a movie that came out a long time ago called jumper yeah it was about this guy who could teleport so yeah. it's sort of like flying but you yeah. kind of just blink Instantly and you're in a go. different place yeah so i think that would be mine i think they called it jumping in the movie so yeah I, I would like to be a jumper. If possible. <laughs> that was, that yeah. was, was a good movie, too. Yeah. yeah. All right. I love it. So if you could live anywhere in the world for a year with no consideration for cost, where would you live? I'm torn between somewhere in the mountains that's completely remote. Interesting. Uh, where I have everything that I need just brought to me in like a weekly shipment and somewhere amazing and tropical like Belize or, or yeah. something like that. So I'm I'm a water guy. I'm a cancer. So I love water and I mix that in the Pacific Northwest in the woods and the forest and the ocean and then yeah. also in the tropics. So All right. somewhere close to water for sure. Okay. Come on, Emily. I know you got some oh, favorite gosh. places. I might do a cop out though. Um, oh dear. I think I have to go back to California. So I'm originally from California. Yeah. 
And if I could, I would love to go back. A lot of my family's over there. So I'm originally from San Diego. Majority of my family is in LA. So I would have to say Los Angeles again. Really? Yeah. And the food, I I would have to admit, is way better in the West Coast than here. So sorry, DC. (laughs) So, yeah. So I don't know how, how, like, we we have a friend and client relationship, semi client relationship, uh, Puesto. Heard of those guys? Mm-hmm. Yes, right. Puesto yes. is fantastic. Fantastic. Yes, I eat so many of their <laughs> so, tacos every time I'm in San Diego. Okay. Yes. Very cool. That's a cool plug. Yes. Because my, my my wife works for the branding company that did all their branding and marketing. Oh, and that's all the other cool. Stuff. What a so if you like if you like the the look and feel of any of the Presto stuff, that's that's they're doing. That's oh, great. Nice. Yeah. yeah, and they're I hear their tacos are unbelievable. I love tacos. So. I could eat tacos all day. Well, here, here's the last easy lob question. <laughs> Besides this one, what would your favorite podcast be that you'd want somebody else to listen to? So I have to be honest. Before this, I wasn't really a big podcast person. Okay. So I was doing some research and listening to a few. But the one that kind of stood out to me was Happier with Gretchen. I forget what her last name is. But she was really good. I, you know, what I like about it is, you know, they give little tidbits of how do you live a happier life? And with, you know, work being stressful or your personal life, you know, it's good to do little things that add up to make sure. your, you know, your holistic life a little better. Love it. Yeah. No, that's great. What about you, Nate? I have a bunch. Uh, the right. one that I'll say publicly that I like uh, <laughs> is The Daily. Uh, okay. I kind of yeah. start every one of my days, every one of my weekdays with The Daily by The New York Times. Um, yeah. So Michael Barbaro has got this incredibly unique voice and way of interviewing his guests. And it's for those, I, I guess Emily is the only one in the room not sh- nodding her head and understanding what the daily is. It's very uh, hypnotic. I actually yeah, listen to that. Yes. It's wonderful about, uh, it's always about news and current events and things that are going on around the world. And it's focused a lot on American politics and things like that when it needs to be, but it also gets wider, which I appreciate. So Yeah, that's great. So now, now that we've gotten all the fun stuff out of the way, let's get serious for a second. Tell the audience, what do you do professionally and how are you connected to ASAE? So I work for an association called the American Anthropological Association. We're a membership society of anthropologists. Uh, and there I am their director of meetings and conferences. So I'm responsible for all the events that they do. Uh, that's a collection of events, everything from our 6,000 person annual meeting through board meetings to about 12 section meetings of 50 to 250 people each. Uh, we also do uh, a collaborative meeting with a few other associations every two years in Africa. Wow. Uh, so keeps me busy. We have a team of three, and then all of our vendors and our partners that work on uh, the event space with us as well. Awesome. So how many members? Uh, we have just under 9,000 right now. That's yeah, and about five to 6,000 of those come to the meeting. So we have really wow. great saturation for our annual meeting yeah. in, in terms of associations. That's awesome. What about you, Emily? So currently, you kind of have me in an interesting position. So awesome. right now, I'm at Delcor Technology Solutions. All right. I've been with them a little over a month now as one of their technology management consultants. We do a lot of AMS selection and assessment, um, learning management systems, just you know, looking at the overall structure of your technology needs for an association, sure. and also you know, providing IT support. Prior to that, I was with MCI USA, an AMC company, yep. and was one of their managing directors for one of their clients, the Healthcare Convention and Exhibitors Association, as their chief staff executive. So that was a great experience, you know, leading the board through strategic planning, you know, getting 
them from the red to the black finally at the end of the year last year and just you know really experiencing you know working with a board and growing their membership and their engagement in various areas so it's been a great journey so yeah. far well and we are huge fans of loretta and everything she does so that's yes. a good that's a yes. good place to be what is your favorite part of being a member at ase what do you like the most or what's been the most valuable experience maybe that you've had up to this point? I think for me, it's really the relationships that we build in the community. I mean, ASAE has such great resources and, you know, a lot of great opportunities as a young professional to really build their career. And what I love about it is just getting to know someone and, and getting to know their journey and, you know, what works, what doesn't work or, you know, what I'm facing this challenge and what do you think I should do or this is what I think um, it really helps kind of ground us and yeah. uh, m makes us feel okay that you know our careers are not linear it's you know a little bit on one side you go up you go down you go side you go to another side and it's it's a beautiful thing and so feeling like you're not alone as a young professional and getting that guidance from your peers or mentors has been such a, a great journey and uh, really beneficial, at least in my career. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. It's an exciting space. What about you, Nate? One of the things I love about ASAE is it gives a home for not just what you do specifically, but your broader community of the association world and what you what you do at work. So I belong to a few other industry associations that are specific to meeting planning. Okay. And I can go to those meetings and meet other meeting planners and talk about meeting planning problems. But as we all know in the association world, everything is so interconnected. So yeah. a lot of the solutions that you're looking for and the challenges you're looking to solve come from talking to someone in membership or in marketing or the tech space right. or the ad space. So at ASAE, it kind and it brings everyone together under this large common umbrella of associations, yeah. but really puts you outside your silo of the specific work you do and allows you to collaborate across borders with folks who are doing different work in the same space. And that's really the value of it for me. Yeah. Um, I think associations in general lend themselves really well yeah. to relationships and that's what they're all about. So I, like Emily, I really enjoy that and getting to know people and getting involved and sort of having a social professional network um, and not something that's, you know, so regimented and stuffy like a lot of our professional networks can be, at least yeah. around the D.C. area. Absolutely. No, and, and I think both of you touched on a couple of underlying points. So let's let's kind of go real big picture because, you know, in this day and age, the association industry, like a lot of under, other industries, is going through probably a lot of changes, certainly on the technological edge. But just really in general, we've got a convergence of so many things that are happening across our society that are you know, the, the word disrupt in is, is constantly <laughs> thrown out there and stuff like that. So what kind of a story needs to be told for associations to be successful, to continue to succeed, to attract members and just really kind of maintain their their space and grow it moving forward? What does that look like? What do you think the story has changed? What are people saying today or should they be saying if they're not? I think one thing that people or associations tend to do is they don't realize that they're environment is changing and so they do the same thing okay. over and over again yeah. and, and think that they are going to get the same results and so you know there's I guess what I'm trying to get at is you know there's a, a, a tendency of like the old guard 
like saying like, no, we don't do that, or that's a great idea, but we don't have the support or the resources. And so I think being open-minded to the different solutions and the different perspectives that people can bring to a challenge is really worthwhile and taking that leap of faith. Yeah. Because I, I feel like a lot of associations right now, they're just really stuck in their ways and doing it very old school when there's a lot of different solutions and, and individuals who really want to step up to the plate, you yeah. know, and really wanting to build that, you know, leadership pipeline and take it to the next level and not just, you know, I'm not saying like take a YP and just let them run, but being collaborative with them okay. and, and making it not just a inclusive environment but really you know hearing them and letting them be part of that solution i think is one thing that i think associations are some associations are going towards and some are having difficulty with yeah and so how do we balance the two is is really interesting but that's a great point what do you think I think it's important for every association, you asked kind of what story should associations be telling. I think it's important for every association to tell their story, not specifically, or excuse me, more specifically about what their story is and how it's different from every other association out there. I mean, most people, when I say I work in an association, they either don't know what associations are, they have no idea how many of them there are out there and what they're for. Many of the people I talk to don't even know there's an association for their own industry (laughs) and ones that they could belong to. So associations are as old as time. I mean, they go back to the Mm -hmm. Roman empire and and you know guilds in the middle ages we've we've seen associations and groups of people who are the same coming together to to solve common challenges since humans have have walked the planet but i think the bigger story that needs to be told is the value that associations bring to everyday life the value that associations bring to the their members that that belong to them uh, so it's really an association's responsibility to tell their story in really big and wide ways and this podcast will do that and and will kind of open people's eyes to kind of what an association is and what it can be but really engage people who aren't in your space as yeah. an association you know i didn't realize that i had a support network for my industry until 5 years into my career wow. and that's not the way it should go uh, so i think it's a lot about marketing it's a lot about getting your message out there and to emily's point it's not about this old organization that isn't nimble and new and and regenerative and it's about new experience and and new perspective and point of view and they're actually looking for those new people to come in and and bring some new life to the organization so i think if you position yourself in that way you you're much better set up for success in terms of attaining and attracting new members, but also retaining the ones you have. I think a lot of associations go through these these cycles um, yeah. of <laughs> gaining a member, they stick around for a year, they're not going to the annual meeting next year, so they don't renew, and then yeah. five years later they come back for the annual meeting <laughs> discount and they get their membership again. So with that cycle and that turnover, it's really hard to make any real progress. So telling a story of value, I think, is really important. Yeah, yeah that's and, a great point. And like the impact. So one thing we can connect to is like ASAE's Power of A Awards. I mean, talk about sharing the value and and what these associations do to our communities and making them better. And that's what, at least for me, makes me so proud to work in this industry. We're we're making an impact to improve and make society better in some sort of fashion. We're we're not the actual people doing it, but we're helping those professionals or helping those organizations do what they need to do in order to make life sustainable or improve lifestyles. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I mean, you both mentioned that point, and John Graham makes this a lot when he's talking. You know, there's probably nothing in our lives that hasn't been touched by an association. Right. Correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're right, Nate. I think it's one of those, it, 
you know, in some respect, it's almost kind of like an awakening may be taking place in a lot of ways that through the association community, entire industries can have a better way to tell stories, to tell their own story and kind of do it in a collaborative fashion. But I think like you mentioned, Emily, I think we're definitely seeing challenges with getting that voice, you know, cut across generations or, you know, whether it's an inclusive, a diverse and equitable environment seeing challenges in those areas that a lot of them, I think, stem from industry challenges, too. I can think of the the financial services industry as, you know, a a significant problem and a lack of diversity, both across age as well as demographically. So if you think that there's a big challenge or a couple of challenges that maybe associations really do need to be tackling at this stage, what, what would those look like? And how do you also see at the same time young professionals being able to help address those challenges. So I, I think you touched on it a little bit there. Uh, DNI, diversity and inclusion, I think yeah. is a huge challenge that, you know, we as a society are facing everywhere. I think associations, because many of them are old, mine, for example, has been around since 1902. A lot has changed since 1902. And when people think about DNI, they think about colors and races and religions and and the big hot button topics that have been all over our society for quite some time. In associations, I think DNI, all of that is exceptionally important, but we also have to add in diversity of opinion, diversity Mm -hmm. of political background, diversity of age, diversity of perspective. And I think this insurmountable challenge that we've been faced with is only solved by people being bold. And, you know, for me personally, I've reached out and tried to do things that I have no business doing at my age. That's great. Because I have something to say. And, you know, I think my advice to other YPers out there is to know your value, know your experience, know exactly what you're good at and go be good at it. And if that's running for a board position early, then run for a board position early. If it's getting on a committee that you think may be out of your reach just a little bit, run for it anyway. Get involved in ways that are not standard because we look to leadership to set these examples of what leadership should look like. And that's not accurate anymore. Right. So why should we follow these examples of what mm-hmm. leadership is supposed to look like if that kind of leadership isn't going to take us into the future anymore? So it really is a personal thing that we as YPs and we as association executives and, and members of ourselves, we have to take this personally and we have to take this into our own hands and start making a difference in the DNI space. Totally. And just to add to that, you know, we always complain about, you know, situations or challenges complain, complain, complain. Well, what's the solution, right? Why, why not take action? As Nate said, be bold. Um, I think, you know, now is a time that there's plenty of opportunities where not just YPs, but anyone in the space can really share their voice and really bring a different perspective and experience to the plate. Because if we don't hear that, we're going to just keep on doing the same thing over and over again. So I would have to agree with Nate with the whole DNI. It's important and it's been an important thing um, now more than ever. And, and just for us to advance as an industry, we need everyone on board. Well, and I think we're touching also thematically, what, especially what you, what you said, Nate, in terms of it, you know equity, diversity, inclusion. It's really about assigning equal value to everybody's voice, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's... I think in the past we've seen, and and Emily, you mentioned it in terms of kind of the old mentality, what that really looks in practical terms is it's a barrier where 
certain opinions and voices seem to have more weight than others, right? right? And probably, hopefully, a lot of that's unintentional. It's just years and years of doing things a certain way. But, you know, how is it then that, like you said, being bold, what do you see, though, as some effective maybe relational strategies that younger professionals can deploy to bridge that gap? Because it, I'm sure in certain circumstances, it might be challenging to kind of approach a manager, an executive, et cetera, and just kind of say, you know, I want to, here's what I think we need to be doing. So maybe, you know, what are some kind of tips or tricks we we want to equip our audience with to, that'll help form those conversations or at least kind of create some momentum where, you know, the boldness doesn't come across the wrong way and create a barrier that we're not, we're not intending. What does that look like? I, I think that's a really fine balance to strike and it takes practice. Yeah. You're going to, f- to, to mess up. You're going to fail. You're going to be too bold in the wrong way and, and be too stern to the wrong person. And then you got to pick yourself up and brush your knees off and say, you know, all right, I have to dial that back a little bit. Leadership, which is what this is, it's thought leadership. There you go. Takes practice and it takes a little bit of getting used to and a little bit of comfort adjustment. But I think one of the things one of my great mentors in my professional life told me was, if you have a new idea, bring that new idea to me like you're ready to defend it in court. Ooh, I love that. Come come into the room and present your idea, but then have a bunch of contingencies behind how that idea could go right or wrong and tell me what you would do in those situations hmm. too. And when you have that idea, take it to your leadership, whether it's your manager and your association or an association board or council or committee, and be open to failing with that idea, but really conversational about what that idea could look like if it plays out in the right way. Mm-hmm. So I think being willing to fail, being willing to fall down with a brand bold idea is important. And I think a lot of young professionals are afraid of that because they think those failures reflect negatively on their professional life and their Mm -hmm. career. And I think we as managers of other people and as we report to our own management, I think we can be more gracious with each other about those failures and allow those failures to be the birthplace of new things and new ideas rather than this punitive structure that you know, now requires correction. Sure. Adding to the conversation, I think it's the relationship between, you know, the YP and the supervisor or the mentor, Mm -hmm. you know, being able to at the first day, set those expectations, create that relationship Mm -hmm. with your manager to make it an open environment where you can be innovative, where you can take ownership. And I think that also lays responsibility to that manager, even, you know, the CEO or the leadership, right? Um, making sure that you are creating an environment for not just your YPs, but everyone who is there to feel comfortable to share those perspectives, to share those ideas. Because if you're not doing that, then you're not being a very good leader. You know, how are, how are you going to be innovative? How are you going to create new ideas if you're, you know, you're just going to stick to one road and just, and you're hearing different things and you just don't adapt or, uh, you know, become agile. And so I think as much as, YPs trying to be bold and like, you know, brush it off, you know, feel fast and then start all over, right? I think creating that space of of creativity is really, really important in the sense because looking at my past careers in different associations, they've done a great job, at least the leaders that I've worked with, they've done a great job to really create this environment where people were, you know, excited to share ideas or even challenge you know, 
ones in a respective manner, right? Yeah. Uh, and so I think that's really conducive in, in, the, in the sense that it's really where, where you are. And I think work culture and work environment is so important, especially in my opinion for you know young professionals where some of them feel burnt out or they feel like they're not being heard. Having, having someone be a champion for them, someone yeah. that will you know, let them speak and be heard and not be scolded at or, you know, it's just, you know, one of those things where, I don't know, it's the work culture is so key to thriving and to really, you know, moving to the next level. Yeah. Well, and, you know, you, you both touched on a few things. There's a couple of C words in here, right? Collaborative. You know, if we all are taking the attitude and an approach where we can't do this necessarily individually, but we can collectively and finding the ways to generate good connection, whether mm-hmm. it's with peers or supervisors or what have you. And I think both of you said this kind of through some of what we were talking about, but younger professionals may be really owning the value of their association, meaning you're working with an association that has its own mission, vision, and is trying to accomplish something. And so bringing up ideas where your heart is to advance that vision and mission and to really make the association better, I imagine that's probably an approach that it would be hard for an executive or a manager to not at least entertain that conversation because it's certainly not a reflection of you just trying to be you, but really (laughs) you bringing something up that's a value that maybe is necessary and essential to advance the mission of, of the association. Have you had any kind of moments where that's either been a good experience or maybe seen things that have dampened your capacity that, you know, maybe some of the executives or leaders might need to hear. You think a lot of times people don't see the way that when they're in a managerial position, they come across that either encourages or discourages conversations. So have you had any experiences like that? I think, you know, this really ties really well with our work in the Young Professional Committee. Uh, One of the things that we always try to do is think of the young professionals and where they're at and, you know, their their financials, right? So a lot of the times it's great to donate to the ASE Foundation and to the APEG, and I do it, Nate does it, everyone Mm -hmm. does it. But the level of amount of money that we can donate is not in comparison to a CEO or director level who's making more than what we do. And so, you know, having that conversation with and collaborating with ASAE staff to say, look, we we want our YPs to to understand what the impact is and the value that the foundation does for research and, you know, bringing those foresight works and, and trying to see what is disrupting our industry and how can we alter and be agile and change the way we do things or even the APAC with advocacy and affecting our industry in in legislation it's it's one of those things where we as a committee really want our community to understand you know that impact and and to donate but it's okay if it's one dollar two dollars five dollars and really seeing how can we recognize them and so I think, you know, based on those conversations, ASAE has been very open about that and trying to find ways on how can we recognize even those who don't donate that much. Sure. Because they can't. Yeah. Um, but they see the value in it. And that's, I think, is the key thing in recognizing, you know, 
we are all on the same team. We all see the value. How can we work together to find the solution? That's a great example. Yeah. What do you think, Nate? Yeah, I think, I mean, we're talking about building environments, right? We're talking about yeah. building cultures around engagement, about around DNI. That's really where, I mean, it's funny how this conversation in so many ways is pointing back at DNI, right? R- right now, we're talking about diversity of opinion and diversity of value. Yeah. Um, so, that is a great example, Emily, of the foundation and what we as YPs on the committee have done to make sure that a $5 donation is recognized just as a $5,000 donation is. Maybe not in the same ways, but you still need to belong to that club. And Mm -hmm. we need to to build this culture of giving even at low levels as we begin our careers. So you asked when I've seen it go well and when I've seen it, you know, go maybe not so well Mm -hmm. in, in associations. And I think the openness to understand that people around you are different in almost every way. Yeah. But that difference doesn't stand as a roadblock to the challenges you're trying to overcome as an, as an organization. And for me, ageism was, you know, I'm a white dude. So, you know, the discrimination I would face is, is not necessarily based on my race or my sex. I'm fortunate I had nothing to do with that, but the discrimination I have faced is is about my thoughts and about my thoughts connected to my age. Sure. Well, you're not old mm-hmm. enough to have leadership opinion yet. You're not hmm. old enough to have groundbreaking new ideas yet. And I don't think that's really right and, and, and I don't think that's accurate. So where I've seen that go really well is different generations and workplaces reach out to each other for different things. I reach back to more senior members of my association a lot to talk about the history of our association. What have we tried before? What solutions have have we tried before that didn't work? And then I reach forward to younger generations than me in my association and I say, what am I missing? What am I not dialed in on, on social media or in fad culture right now that we could really harness that you're way more into than I am? Or what is your expertise from the background of the brand new degree you just got mm-hmm. that you're super yeah. pumped about? I'm 12 years away from my degree. I'm not as passionate about what I studied in college as our brand new employees are. So, you know, realizing that we're different, but harnessing those differences. And and as Emily said, really giving and building space to allow those differences to shine. You know, the only hotel company I've ever considered working for and did work for really, really made a point to say, we don't want you to be like us. We want you to be like you because you are different and we need different here. Yeah. So I think where I've seen it go wrong is where people put you in a box and think you can only contribute what their definition what their definition of you is and where i've seen it go really well is in these collaborative environments that really give people the space to be themselves and utilize people for their differences because they see those as strengths right like how you know associations when they hire a yp they think automatically that they know social media and there's some yps you're like i don't know how to use this and so it's it's one of those things where you know you have to be open you can't assume things based on you know, who, how they look like or their experience. You just never know what, what you can get from their perspective or experience. But that's a risk, right? I mean, every yeah. relationship is a risk because yeah. in order to know what someone's good at, you have to sit them down and talk to them. And right. You have to, mm-hmm. you have, to right. have a moment and build a relationship. For a lot of people, that's a risk. That's, that's an uncomfortable endeavor. And I think getting into that uncomfortable space of, of having those new conversations and really getting to know the people that surround us is going to lead us to much more meaningful, impactful difference that we can actually make together. 
rather than, as you said, well, you're young. You must have a Twitter. <laughs> I don't have a Twitter, actually. I, I, don't, I don't know how to use that device or that platform. So, yeah, I, I think that individuality is so often seen as, as a detriment when it's right. really a strength. Mm-hmm. Well, and you just, I mean, you both just captured kind of this, how do we make sure we are intentionally moving away from an, a, a relational approach that's based on what you do, but is shifted towards who you are, right? And, Absolutely. And, and, I, Absolutely. and I loved even what, how you were bringing up as, as a fellow white person myself, you know, recognition that just based off of how we've been born, we have certain pathways that may be more advantageous, but you're kind of framing it in a manner that understands that other people don't. And by no fault of their own, that it's not always a level playing field. And so it sounds like it's also important for us to be mindful that there may be a need for us to kind of reach down or to bring other parties to the table who have a more difficult path right. just having their voice be 100%. heard. I mean, even, even the difference between, let's just face it, men and women, right? And finding ways to, to create environments where, again, those voices can come to the table, be seen as valuable, frankly, just maybe even in some respects, be given the chance to have a voice because, you know, maybe historically they haven't. So what do you guys think about, you know, just that kind of a challenging topic of how do we, how do we, you know, move the needle forward to have a more level playing field across all of these different demographic and Right. I mean, luckily, I've had champions in my career that have brought me up and, and brought me these opportunities and bringing me to these conversations and just making me feel confident in my experience and my perspective. So as much as I move up, I also look back yeah. and bring others with me and, great. and think about, you know, all the other individuals that need that opportunity or want that opportunity, but don't really have that accessibility. Right. Yeah. And so a lot of the times during our committee conversations, it's how do we bring our other YPs part of the conversation, part of the engagement with ASAE and everything in this industry to really feel like they're a part of this family, yeah. right? a part of this community. And so, you know, just networking and, and learning people's stories and, you know, hey, like there's an opportunity to write an article or, you know, do a blog post or anything of that sort or just even connect is is worthwhile. And so as much as I know me and Nate, we're, we're very into, you know, moving forward and, and building our careers, but also remembering those behind us and bringing them and helping as much as we can yeah. you know having those conversations and and it's funny to say like i have i'm a mentor for some other yps who are in the industry and it's not an odd thing in the sense that you're just giving them advice you're helping them through their journey just like our mentors have and that's all they're really looking for they're just looking for some guidance and some support because it can be pretty overwhelming especially at the annual to be this one person with thousands of people around you but if you have someone to go to where you're familiar with and comfortable with it goes a long way yeah that's great it's not a me it's a we i completely agree absolutely i mean the idea of of bi-directional mentorship you know the mentorship doesn't happen in one in one direction you know uh, reaching forward and reaching back Mm -hmm. realizing that the people who helped you when you were you know just starting out are the very same people who need or are are much like you now 
helping others who are just starting out as well. You know, I think mentorship is great. And we've all, I think as YPs, we talk about this in committee meetings all the time all about the time. what's the best way to be a mentor <laughs> and, and how to, what's the best mentorship program. And, and I think you really have to come at it from the right place because there's no magical bullet, no magical formula or silver bullet that mm -hmm. cuts through it all and makes it work. But I think for mentorship to actually really be engaging and, and kind of you talked about this idea of difference and, and how difference is recognized and how difference of voice and opinion is recognized and valued in the DNI space. I think it's really up to us as individuals to not only see who we are, but really see who everyone else is around us. That's great. And, you know, there's been the slogans and the catchphrases of, I don't see color, I don't see race, I don't see religion. Well, then you're ignorant. Yes. Because you must see those things. Yes. Yeah. And 100%. it's, it's, it's interesting that I find that at least some people think that those phrases are good and hmm. it, it gives them a great perspective and, and that they're not being discriminatory. But by ignoring those things, which actually are barriers for a lot of other folks, are barriers for me, we can overcome those barriers. Right. And that actually is more ignorant. So yeah. I think it's important think to see great. our differences and it's important to understand how those differences manifest themselves in people's careers and social lives and political yeah. lives. You know, so if we are aware of who we are and we see the differences of people around us, then I think it's our responsibility as professionals and as mentors. And that's when you can be a great mentor is when you see those differences and then help those around you overcome their differences for whatever totally. reasons they are. You know, I'm a white dude, but I'm a young white dude in a career who struggles to clash with, I could say, in terms of, of, of ideas with older white dudes who are automatically think their ideas are better. So that's age there. <laughs> there age go. there is my hurdle, right? You know, sex isn't my hurdle or race isn't my hurdle, but it's my responsibility to understand my hurdle and then look at my team and say, there okay, you well, your hurdle may be different, but I can, I can use my place in the world to be a leg up for you. Just like you may be an older black woman you can use your age as a leg up for me. And you can go to that older white man and say, just because he's younger doesn't mean his opinion doesn't matter. Mm, so we can build these really collaborative networks that are really transformational in terms of mentorship if we get outside this, I don't see color, I don't see race, I don't see religion, I don't see age, I'm just, I treat everyone the same. We're not the same and we struggle with different things. Right. And if we don't call those things out, we can't, we can't beat them. No, I mean, you both hit the nail on the head. It is all of our responsibility. And, mm -hmm. and maybe that's probably a great statement for certainly young association professionals and frankly, young professionals in general to embrace, right? The right. responsibility that we all have, that right. we're given right. uh, to be But I would like to say too, is that a lot of the people I've met in the ASAE community, you know, CEOs, director levels, they have been so open and so gracious in in the advice and just, you know, building that conversation, building that relationship. So for all those YPs who are feeling lost or feeling alone, just talk to them. Yeah. You know, take that leap of faith because they are so friendly <laughs> and so willing to help others thrive and really build upon their career in this association space because they know well in fact that we need leaders within our industry and building that like I said, leadership pipeline within the community so that more voices are heard, more representation is there, and diverse of thought is present. Yeah. Yeah. ASA is a wonderfully big and yet small right. group. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. To your point, Emily, I one of the things I love about ASAE is that all the valuable information, all of the sage advice doesn't lie at the top level. 
with yeah. the board. Right. You know, so, so while while I completely support what you're saying, and you can you can look at the John Grams and you can look at the the big named leaders of ASAE, they are all wonderfully gracious in terms of valuing younger opinion, oh, yeah. valuing everyone's opinion, regardless of where you come from or what you do. It is a really welcoming environment. But the magical thing I've seen about ASAE and all my interactions in those spaces is that some of the best advice comes from people who are your own age or maybe yeah. a year or two younger than you or a year or two older than you. You know, leadership at ASAE isn't so much defined by top positions and board seats. It brings together so many people who have done such incredible work that you can have conversations with just about anybody and learn a ton yeah. uh, from ASAE membership. So I really love that it's a place that that fosters that environment. And I think because it does, it brings more of that to itself. Yeah. And really enriches the experience you have there. The worst thing you can do at an ASA annual meeting is not talk to anybody. <laughs> it's just, I mean, the registration fees alone are worth just talking to people. Sure. It's um, very true. So it's a really incredible place that continues to be a home for new thought and new perspective. Yeah. Well, and so let's 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 wrap up on on the point that you just brought up. We've got a conference coming up in Columbus. So what do you want the other YPs that, that are going to be listening to to be excited about coming into ASA Annual in Columbus, besides just being there. So one of the things that I think is important to know as a YP, especially if you've never been to the meeting before, is that we do a lot of work as the YP committee to kind of curate your experience there. Awesome. Uh, and there's a YP pathway that we work on with the program that kind of puts a bunch of minds in a room and says, what's good programming for a YP? And where, where do we think you should go if you don't have any other idea? So look for that. Look for that on the website. It's already out there. Uh, so you can see what that YP pathway looks like. And then really engage us YPs. I mean, we don't wear big banners or badges or anything like that, but talk to other I people I like swear you. I I saw you wearing one last year. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a sash, actually. I prefer I prefer the sash. Um, Mr. ASAE. But yeah, go talk to one. people who, who you think you may have something in common with or even scarier people you may not have anything in it's common great. with. Um, for me, I remember my first ASAE. I was talking to my CEO at an association. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. But I think one of the things is preparation is key. Uh, ladies, definitely wear comfortable shoes because you will be walking a lot. There you go. <laughs> um, but one of the things that I took heartedly was, you know, have a game plan. And I'm one of those people where I can be very, very social and very extroverted, but I need my alone time sometimes just to like shut down and just like relax. And so one of my goals, since I know ASAE can be very overwhelming, is have a goal. Like even if it comes down to meet three new individuals and really build that relationship within that annual conference is success. So understand goal. who you are and, and what your parameters are, but also kind of challenge yourself because, you know, it is a great opportunity, um, but have those metrics, I guess, of success, as we say in association space of, you know, what do I want to get out of the annual conference? And yeah. so for me, it was network and at least build three really good, strong relationships that I can cultivate in the in the following year to be a mentor just or be have someone to talk to. Right. Fantastic. No, great points. Any final shout outs we want to make? Any Pennsylvania hi hos <laughs> or San Diego? Hey. Hi Pennsylvania. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Love I'm not it. huge on shout outs. You know? All right. I don't know. I don't know. I, you know, I just want to say thank you for having us. This has been such a great opportunity to just share our experiences and hopefully bring some good advice to those who are listening. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Appreciate you Thanks both so being much. here. 
Thanks so much, guys. Thanks for listening to this month's episode of the That's My Financial Guy podcast. We hope you enjoyed yourself. If you'd like to get a hold of us, you can find us online at thehaneycompany.com or on Twitter at The Haney Company. The information provided in this podcast is not intended as specific tax or legal advice and may not be relied upon for purposes of avoiding any federal tax penalties. The Haney Company, its employees and representatives are not authorized to give tax or legal advice. Individuals are encouraged to seek advice from their own tax or legal counsel. Individuals involved in the estate planning process should work with an estate planning team, including their own personal legal or tax counsel. The information provided here does not constitute personal financial advice, but is meant as the conveyance of information for educational purposes only. All investing involves risk, including the risk of loss. Past performance is not indicatory of future returns. Guarantees are backed by the claims-paying ability of the insurer. Brian Haney is a registered representative of Coastal Equities Incorporated and an investment advisory representative of Coastal Investment Advisors Incorporated. Investment advisory services are offered through Coastal Investment Advisors Incorporated, and securities are offered through Coastal Equities Incorporated, member FINRA